What is up, everybody? I'm Jamal. I'm Brandon, and this is The Way We Ball. Brandon, we have an exciting episode today. As you've seen from the teasers, as you've seen from the title, we had none other than Houston's soccer royalty, Mr. Glenn Davis, on the show. Brandon, how does that sound as a first guest for the podcast? I mean, that's landing a goat, an absolute legend in Houston soccer. And little peek behind the curtain, you and I were scrambling at first because it wasn't letting me onto our software for us to actually record with him. And then literally last second, I just popped up into it right before we got going. And it was like, oh my gosh, thank God we can do this. <laughs> it was one of those cases where anything that could go wrong or anything that might go wrong can and will. And luckily by the soccer gods, you came in last second, literally crunch time and yeah. got us in. But before we do that, we have a pretty important game. Maybe even the most important game of the season for us so far. We have Portland this Saturday. So we'll, just to show you fans, we respect your time. I'm going to put a timer on for five minutes. So we'll do a quick five minutes on this Portland match, and then we'll go right into the interview. So Brandon, I don't know if you saw, we tweeted, uh, basically we win and we're in. What I mean by in is that we're in as far as home field advantage just a win and we'll finish anywhere from two to four, depending on the rest of the, of the uh, games on decision day. So just a win and we'll have two, two through four, one of those options. And I think it's pretty significant. We talked about it before our home field advantage, especially this time of year. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? So kind of looking as like a head to head matchup, cause we have to travel to Portland and we haven't fared too well when we've gone to Portland. So in fact, looking at our total history, we faced Portland 25 times in history against each other, home and away. Uh, Portland's won 10 of those. We've won seven. We've drawn eight times. But when we've gone to Portland, we've lost the last four straight in a difference of 10 to three. So they've absolutely owned us on their pitch. Now, looking kind of more bigger picture here, it's looking at the two teams. Now, Portland, they have a minus nine goal difference on the season compared to us, which is a plus 16. But if you look at the numbers in terms of how many we score per game, they're at like 14.2 goals per game, and we're at 14.5. Now, it's super similar, but what's the biggest difference? They have nine clean sheets compared to our 17. So it's showing you like how massive the keeper position is, especially with Clark. Now, the other stat that I started to kind of deep dive into it was looking more of like, well, where do we start to dominate between them two? So in terms of passing percentage, Portland's at like a 79% passing where we're at an 81%. So super similar. But the biggest difference, the passes per game, they have 86 passes per game compared to our 112, where we dominate possession 52% of the time compared to their 48. So even though our numbers in terms of like goals per game and only five points separates us, when you really deep dive into the numbers, there's a massive difference in terms of our defense possession and again the midfield having that owning of all that passing that's what's like going to be the biggest step and I think the biggest difference between the last four times that we faced off against them and to put it in layman's terms this ain't your daddy's dynamo anymore this is a new <laughs> dynamo in town so um I don't, I don't know it's going to be it's going to be a good one they have a lot to play for they have a, a strong home crowd as we all know that's no secret and they have the gift of sitting at home waiting for us to do that travel day. Um, but I mean, this dynamo team just performs and show up when we need them to most. I think this little, uh, mini rest they got during the international breaks gonna, gonna help. Yeah. And there's tons. no yellow. 
Yeah, and there's no yellow card accumulations for anybody. We're all healthy, so we, we have full bl guns blazing. And like you mentioned at the start, we're kind of sitting in the driver's seat in this. And what I mean by that is Portland right now is at 43 points. They're sitting in seventh. Now, if they don't win and they falter, they can fall all the way back as far as 11th and be completely out. Because in 11th place is Minnesota United sitting at 41 points. So two points separates 11 and 7. So really, the pressure is all on them. And last time we faced Portland was at home, where we dominated 5-0. So it's kind of, I, yes, the fans are going to be rocking and roaring. But with all that built-up pressure and that dominance of already happening against them, I like our chances. It's going to be an exciting one. As we said, just win, and we have home field advantage. Brandon, we have about a minute and a half left before we jump into the interview with the soccer GOAT. Uh, quick question. So we had two updates uh, since our last episode. We announced the extension of our tour and Bartlow. What are your thoughts on that? Tremendous. I mean, Artur is, he's just 27 years old. So we locked him up for a couple of years up to 2027, possibly with an option, which is amazing. Bartlow, I mean, he has been not only quality depth, but when he's starting, you can count on him. And we've mentioned before how big and deep our center back positions are. So locking up those two for the future, I mean, we're making all the right moves. And that's something that a lot of Dynamo fans should feel super positive about going into the stretch. Yeah, no, I think we, we discussed it, um, foreshadowing here, we discussed it in the in the interview with Glenn as well, um, especially that, that Bartlow signing kind of, the kid's 22, 23, so that's yeah. setting us up for a very long time in the back there, setting up an anchor in that back line, which has been impressive this year, and our tour, um, I mean, our tour has just been phenomenal um, for many people signing of the, of the off season, so... That is it, Brandon. We are five seconds away from five minutes. We are going to jump into the interview with Glenn Davis. Hope you all enjoy it. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, The Way We Ball. Um, and on all social medias, that's underscore The Way We Ball. We will see you all next week. Dale Dynamo. And this is The Way We Ball. The Way We Ball podcast is looking for partners. Would you like your business shouted out every single episode? Maybe you would like your logo here. Maybe here. Maybe you would like your logo as a presenting sponsor. We have a ton of opportunities and we're looking forward to help building your business as we build this podcast. So give us a shout at the way we ball podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of our socials underscore the way we ball. Again, that's the way we ball podcast at gmail.com or any of our socials underscore the way we ball. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back, everybody, to the Way We Ball podcast. Folks, today is a special day for the pod. We have our first guest, and me and Brandon figured what better way to kick things off than Houston soccer royalty, Mr. Glenn Davis. Glenn, how are you today? Jamal, Brandon, thanks for having me on. I must say your backdrop is a lot better than mine. We got an Asian influence <laughs> over here. We got... <laughs> Our masks over here so i feel a little bit shamed right now but thanks for having me on <laughs> thank you so much for the kind words glenn i see an alice cooper poster back there so i know uh i know i, I know you got good music today so great backdrop can't can't say anything besides that brandon how are you this morning doing well jamal thanks for asking man um Glenn, let's let's not kind of beat around the bush here. Before we start to dive in deep into Dynamo talk, we kind of want to talk a little bit about your career as a player and also as a broadcaster. So kind of first diving into your career as a player. Growing up, you had a coach, Tom McDonald. 
How did Tom really influence the passion of the game on you? Well, you know, Tom McDonald was affectionately called Mr. Mac. Um, and, and by the grace of just good luck and connections in our town, if you, at the time I grew up, soccer was not prevalent. Well, it was in the suburbs, but it wasn't being played as football should be played, right? It was all around ethnic pockets, all around New York City, all the areas uh, around cities, right? That's where the game was being played by ethnic groups, right, who brought over from their countries the game. So we got we got very lucky with this Scottish man, and he came out to our town. And I mean, he'd be out there three, four nights a week. He took a group of kids. Um, he just made soccer the most interesting, exciting game. He used to do this thing at the end of practice when we were little little guys, and he'd say it's solo time. So he'd take the ball, and he'd had sixteen little kids chasing him all over this giant field, you know, trying to get the ball off him and falling down and getting up, and you know. I, you know but he taught me a great lesson before getting into youth coaching. Uh, ultimately, that was, you know, you leave kids excited to come back the next time, right? You, you always end the training session on a high. But he was a huge influence. Um, you know, I had a brother that got drafted in the NASL as a goalkeeper. I had the Cosmos and Pelé nearby. So the combination of all these things um, really is 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 what made soccer the most amazing game. But but he's he's a man. I have his picture on the wall. I look at it every day, and uh, I'm not here without him. Well, you kind of actually mentioned, uh, typing in my second question there, your brother Khan, as you mentioned, he was a goalkeeper, not only at your alma mater as well, but at the dinner table. Who would you argue between the two was the better player between you and Khan? Very different. Um, you know, he was a goalkeeper. He was a tremendous athlete. Um, there was not specialization back in those days like there is now with goalkeepers and goalkeeping coaches and, and things. So a lot of times guys that were extremely athletic, you know, ended up being goalkeepers. Um, the better player, um, just two really different, two, two different positions and really my upbringing. You know, I had a Mr. McDonald. He, he didn't have somebody like that. He, he was a guy that was raw and was identified, turned into a great college goalkeeper and, and got uh, scouted by Dennis Violet, who was a former Manchester United goal scorer who was in America at the time. And that's how he got drafted. And he was all set to play at that time in the NASL and went back to get his things at college and jumped up in the air and tore his ACL. And at that time, there was no coming back from ACL. So that was it. Oh, man. So – in 1985, around that time, you were captaining the Houston Dynamos, and you guys played against some Titan clubs like Sheffield United, Middlesbrough. But the big headline, y'all beat the United States national team 1-0. Can you kind of take us through that game? Well, yeah. I think our <laughs> team scored off a corner. So, you know, I mean, this is, this is why interviewing people from the past is a good thing because your lens is different. And that only comes with time and experience. And, you know, this is why when I walk into Shell Energy Stadium or a stadium in Major League Soccer, it still blows me away to this day. When I walk in there for the next game in the playoffs, you know, it's I look around and I just go, this is, I mean, I give my right arm, my left arm, my right leg to play in a game in a facility like this because we played in – you know, NFL stadiums, high school stadiums, a variety of places which were not designed for soccer at the time. So 
you know, back then the U.S. national team was, you know, whoever was the coach pretty much had a group of guys that he was going to bring in. There was no real scouting system. There was, there was none of this. There were excellent players. Um, and, you know, at that time with leagues struggling, uh, our general manager, Jim Walker, who is another great, uh, is a great soccer legend in Houston, you know, he put these schedules together. So U.S. national team needed games, right? So, you know, they'd come to Houston, there'd be four or 5,000 people, and, you know, we'd play them. We had a pretty distinctively foreign, you know, we had guys from Yugoslavia on our team, the former Yugoslavia, Brazilians, Beto de Santos, who's Gio de Santos's uncle, Jose Neto from Brazil. Uh, so it's just, just where Bunch the game Portuguese, was. Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah. Manny Neves, Portuguese guy. Neves. So, you know, we had uh, Manny Andrzejewski who played for Southampton. So it was just, that's just the way the times were then, you know. So transitioning now out of kind of being a player, how did being a player influence you as a broadcaster? How would you say that's really helped you? I would say uh, the experiences, the coaches you've played under, what you learn from your teammates. You know, one of the greatest teachers for me was my first year playing was a British guy named Peter Carr to this day who took me aside and taught me some subtleties that changed my game immensely. Um, so I would just say that that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, the other part of it was really youth coaching where you have to bring out coaching points. You have to be very clear to young kids, right? You, you can't wow them with words or you lose them. You only have a limited amount of time to get an idea across and, and you learn to keep things simplified, right? Um, simplicity is genius. So, uh, you know, I heard Keith Richards in the Rolling Stones the other day talking about music and, you know, his drummer, Charlie Watts. And, and he, and he said something like silence is your, you know, silence is your canvas. And I thought that was pretty prophetic in, in a way. And it's the same thing with broadcasting, right? To me, it's never been to assault people with a tsunami of words because you'll lose them. It's, it's simplicity. It's clarity. When you're on TV, you use the natural sound in the building. It's all these things. Going quiet sometimes is the best thing you can do as a, as a broadcaster. Um, so um, I, I think it's all of the combined. You know, it's, it's playing. It's guys you played with you learn from, your coach. You get into youth coaching. Uh, you learn how to be a communicator. So kind of diving into that, you've called World Cups, you've called Olympic soccer. What would you say has been the greatest game you've ever called? Well, I get asked that a lot. And it's very hard because I, I can't like do a quick Rolodex flashback in my mind of all these games. You know, it depends on how you would define great. Would it be quality of game, attendance, um, you know, your first game, you you remember, I mean, I can remember things after the first game, but uh, Bill Land, who was the play-by-play -play guy, I started as an analyst, and he's now the San Antonio Spurs play-by-play -play man and just the best guy you could ever break in with. And I remember looking at, at him in 94 after doing an indoor game, and, and that's where I started the Houston Hot Shots at the summit. It was the summit then. It's now uh, Osteen's church. And, and I said, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm tired. He looks at me and he smiles and he goes, he goes, big boy, 
He says, beats working. That's all, I love that. That's all he said. But, you know, I, I've done games in the L.A. Coliseum with 95,000 people in Barcelona and Ronaldinho coming out like a rock star waving a flag. I've done Cristiano Ronaldo games there, um, you know, World Cups, Olympics, all these things. Uh, and I've also done games in the L.A. Coliseum with a little table and 20 parents around me as we're doing a USC women's soccer game, you know, and that was in the same year, which was the great reminder to me that no matter, no matter what game you're, you're doing, no matter what level it is, you give, you give 100%, you know, and, and I take enjoyment out of every game I do, whether it's, it was the big show and, you know, superstars of world soccer, right on down to college players. Um, it's it's all genuinely fun, and I take it serious. Any like little tidbits here and there that are just taking me back to my youth? And when you said Houston Hot Shots, I still remember those commercials I used to run on the, on local access. That was the first game that my dad took me to, um, as far as any kind of professional soccer in Houston. We would always see the Houston Hot Shot commercials, and just because of that commercial, we finally checked it out ourselves. And then fast forward, I, I remember 2006 hearing that San Jose was coming to Houston. Uh, a part of me really wanted them to bring back the hotshots name. Um, but sorry, I just had to chime in that, that little tip. No, but there you know, you know you're saying something very important because, and this is one thing I think we have not done good enough uh, as a Houston soccer community, and that is honor our past in soccer. You know, Seattle's not the only one that has a past professional soccer history. Ours goes back to the late 60s. In fact, Real Madrid played here against West Ham United in, I think, 66 or 67. It was a year after England won the World Cup. The captain was Bobby Moore. Well, when they played that game in the Astrodome, which was the first game ever, Bobby Moore was on West Ham United. So, you know, these these are incredible facts and, and history. So you had the Houston Hurricanes, Houston Stars, Houston Hurricane, the Houston Dynamos that, that, that I and a lot of guys were on. Uh, then you segue into Houston Hot Shots, which was indoor soccer, and then you get to current day Dynamo, who come from San Jose. So every one of these teams had guys that ended up working in youth soccer, and they all left their own legacy and influence on people. Um, and, I, and I wish we, you know, I, I don't think people know that history, in fact, and we, we, we need to do better with that because it's it's a source of pride. I completely agree. That's my biggest thing. We have a we have this dynamic, Brandon and I, it's like good cop, bad cop, because I'm the gr- grumpy old soccer guy. Everything is annoys me, it's not good enough. And but that is some that is a box that I will not step off of step off of. There's such a rich history of soccer in Houston and unfortunately I don't think the Dynamo do a good enough job of embracing it, of telling the story. They have the largest platform out of any of us and and we don't But it started you're from out of market. That hard for you to know this stuff if you're from out of market mm-hmm. you know you know uh, it, it, you know it, it, unless you're really deep diving but it, it is another way to attract people to games i mean it's amazing i'll go to games and and somebody will come up yeah i remember watching you at butler stadium out on south maine you know uh, linfield from ireland was here or you guys played the you guys played the Leones Negros from Guadalajara, you know, and it's like, and I look at him, are you older than me? 
No, but Culp's like kind of touched on it. That's actually something we've talked about in the off season doing as kind of like a deep dive into the podcast is literally how the history of the Dynamo has come to fruition. Because as you mentioned, there's such a huge diversity here in Houston that I feel like a lot of people don't understand how we've gotten here to this point. And I, it, from indoor and how big it was to kind of now where we are taking over San Jose, I think that's actually something that would be extremely interesting to most listeners and something that even the biggest fans don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, young guys like you, if you take that mantle, it's great because, you know, people get tired of me talking about it. You know, it's like, here he goes again, you know, he's talking about Houston soccer history, but you know, for those of us who are a hundred percent football, soccer, whatever we want to call it, this does mean a lot to us. And Absolutely. and this connection can be brought into the current stadium. And you know what? 15 years from now, people are going to be talking about this team and our turn, Hector Herrera. And you have to remember that. It, it's it, the Time waits for no one. It just keeps going forward. But a little look back once in a while is, is, is a great reminder. I mean, look at 2006 and seven, the great team we inherited, by the way, which was a gift to Houston. That's yeah. what I always say. It was a gift. Yes. Um, you know, you look at that team and you look at where the league was. It was 11 or 12 teams. And then you fast forward to now and look where this is. You know, back then the coach could be the GM like Dominic Kinnear, right? Now you have to have a full-blown scouting system. You're selling players to Europe, hopefully. Um, you, you know, stadiums, infrastructure. It, it, it's pretty mind-blowing when you really stop, pause, and think about it. Kind of trickled down in the soccer pyramid. I was, um, I, I mentioned I worked in USL, and even I was talking to some NPSL folks, and nowadays the owner can't be the head coach. The owner can't be the GM. You need, uh, yes. they have certain requirements now. And in my head, I was like, man, I remember, Five, ten years ago, the NPSL was what, you know, a, a guy would get a group of friends together, throw out a team, and there you go. But now there's requirements. And so I feel like the MLS, as much slack as it does get, it's done a great job of kind of setting a certain um, standard. And it's kind of sprinkled down throughout the U.S. Soccer Federation. Well, and let's not forget the influence of, you know, you having worked in the USL. I mean, you know the USL, NPSL, all of them have an influence on the soccer community, right? I mean, there's some Big USL time. teams that are pushing the borders of drawing as, as well as, or maybe are drawing better than some MLS teams, right? And they are totally integrated in their community and connected to people. And, and, and it's a source of pride for a community. And at the end of the day, it's growing the game. And, you know, look, they're, they're guys that get into it who, are, are not funded enough and it, and it ends up not making it, but you need those dreamers. You know, you need those people that, that, that push it forward. So Glenn, I got uh, two more personal questions for you before we start diving deep into the dynamo one silly and one a little bit more serious. First, the silly one though, you have a pretty famous niece, Hannah Davis. Uh, she's married to a baseball player. A lot of people might know of uh, Derek Jeter. Do you and Derek ever kind of talk about who was the better captain? <laughs> Um, no, I don't think Derek's that interested in my soccer career, but, but, uh, I do, you know, I have met him many, many times, uh, whether in the Virgin Islands or in Florida, um, you know, what I love about him and you don't even have to ask him anything is that he's authentic baseball, right? Like I'm authentic soccer. Um, obviously I'm a lot older than him, but, 
Um, and he had a little bit better career, I think, in his sport than I did in mine. Barely. Barely. <laughs> Debatable. But, but I, you know, but the authenticity, I mean, if you listen to him on some of the broadcasts now in the playoffs, you know, in baseball, I mean, just comes through. Extremely disciplined guy. Um, and very lucky to be married to my niece, Hannah. So Can I just say, of, I, oh, go ahead. sorry, I, I hope to one day run into Derek Jeter just so that I can call him Hannah Davis's husband. Like exactly. Just, you know, act like I don't know him. Like, hey, aren't you a Hannah Davis's husband? <laughs> well, you know, when you're a family member and you see things that are put out there, you know, and, oh, she she married him for the money. I'm like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, on her own, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cover of Sports Illustrated and you know, her whole career took off because Ralph Lauren um, picked her kind of out of a picture or lineup or something. I mean, it was a crazy story of a photographer in the Virgin Islands who took her picture to New York. So anyway, she was a great Incredible. athlete. She was a great tennis player, excellent volleyball player. I was really hoping she was going to play sports in college. I kind of was against the model route, but what do I know? <laughs> worked out in the end, huh? Yeah. So um, now, uncles only have they can only go so far with their opinions, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're more of the cool uncles. So now, kind of more of the uh, final kind of personal question for you: You have a charity called Kick Cancer. Um, how did that become a passion of yours, and kind of what does it entail? That goes to my sister. My sister um, has been a huge advocate of you know rare diseases, um, cancer has worked in the industry her entire life. She started as a registered nurse at Sloan Kettering in New York. She's married to an oncologist. Um, she really imparted upon me the importance of doing things for other. And then, and, and it kind of came through her influence, you know, with people that are fighting and struggling. So, you know, we, we, we've done, we do clinics. Cypher Dynamos is a great partner. SG1 here in Houston has, we started off, we had a ton of clubs doing it in the beginning. We've kept it going. It, it entails visits to hospitals uh, with soccer balls to kids with a cancer patient that's uh, survived. Because I think for me, they're the best example to any, anybody is that someone that has gone through it can, can speak and connect with kids. But I just felt everybody is, is supposed to do something in their community um, that, that, is for others. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, we have the soccer matters, t-shirts and hats, which is, I'm going to do a selfless plug here, but there's a great company called lamontbrands.com, And that's where we have these t-shirts and hats and the proceeds go to a local 501c charity, a great 501c called snowdrop foundation. So, um, that's all. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not changing the world. We're not doing million dollar banquets. We did bring over, uh, with the help of our great friend, Tom Clare, who just, recently passed um the author he recently passed with cancer tom uh was like this incredible incredible writer detailed grew up watching manchester united way way back and had these amazing stories but he helped us get you know former united players over here like brian mcclair norman whiteside the legendary alex stepney was here um you know and we did these banquets that would raise money um, and we're hoping to revive that. It got kind of hit with the pandemic, but you know, it, it's just, we all have to do a little something for somebody other than ourselves. Right. Completely agree. Before, uh, 
before we transition, can you spell out Lamont Brands, uh, Glenn? Yes, L-A-M-O-N-T-B-R-A-N-D-S.com, LamontBrands.com, run by two, two great guys, um, the Lamont brothers. And these guys are like, if you've ever seen twins that you can't tell the difference, it's these two guys. I mean, it's incredible, but they got a really cool printing company and, you know, they just, they'll take care of you. And they also, you know, uh, have partnered with me on this, uh, you know, the t-shirts and hats. That's the, uh, that's one of the beautiful things, as we mentioned, you know, talking about platforms, that's one of the great things with this sport. Um, it provides a platform for, um, you know, proceeds like, like you have going on with the kid cancer. So many um, listeners, again, that's Lamont Brands. Love to have you go out there, buy a shirt and support, uh, support Glenn's uh, fundraiser. Yeah. Around the country, we've had a lot of different, it's, it's, it's really cool. Cause some of my, like my youth soccer teammates, I'll get this picture, you know, from, you know, my, my neighbor who we played soccer all, you know, named Johnny Waraxa, right. Who had a family of seven kids and, you know, I get this picture of the Jersey Shore and they're all wearing a Soccer Matters t-shirt. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So it, it's just super uplifting and, and just that, that people would care that much. That's awesome, man. Seriously. Well, let's uh, let's try to transition now, kind of dive into a little bit of Dynamo yeah, going on right now. Yeah, yeah like, right. Get, get more serious now. Um, so let's first start... Let's kind of talk about like the team as a whole here, and let's go individual first. Um, what player would you say has probably impressed you the most this season? Oh, that's a very difficult question, but I think you know the straw that serves stirs the drink. It's pretty obvious. It's Hector Herrera. Um, you know, I think all of us there was a little question mark coming into the year of how engaged Hector was, and you know, I heard some things that potentially he might not be coming back out of Mexico. Um, so I'm, I'm just being very upfront here. Uh, so I think the big question was his engagement. And I think we got the answer. Uh, he has been absolutely spectacular as a leader. You can watch very closely, as you guys know, the subtle things that he does as a captain to engage others, bring people together. Um, you know, you know. I think he laid on. It might have been uh, Ali Ibrahim's first goal. I think it was a chance that he could have put away, and he squares it to him so he can side foot it into an empty net. I think it was Ali. Anyway, these little subtle things, his leadership, his decision making, his pedigree, and the buy-in that all their, the teammates have. I mean, can you imagine sitting across the locker room and knowing you're going you're going into a game with Hector? Um, Clearly, best eleven this year in MLS for me, but I but I think it's just all the different things he brings, whether it's his range of passing, and I think he's enjoying his football beyond belief because he's a playmaker. This is not the role he had at Atletico Madrid. You know, this I think there's just uh, I just see a free spirit in a way of enjoyment coming out of his game, and I think that that is a really powerful thing to notice. Um, and then uh, I think he's got just this amazing kind of access relationship with Artur that, that really is, you know, that, that's the heartbeat of the team. He posted, uh, speaking of his buy-in, he posted, I want to say two, three weeks ago, a photo of his son's uh, middle school American football photo. And Whoops. I was like, okay, Hector's, Hector's bought in. He's, he's a Texan now. So that was good <laughs> to see. And, and hopefully his family's enjoying their, their time in Houston as well. 
Well, and Hector's important because we've needed a face of this franchise for a long, long time. And I think you're getting it with him. I think you're getting it with with Ben Olsen as a coach. Uh, you got this great competitive staff that's turned it around with 17 changes. So, you know, teams need a face. The, the Dynamo have been faceless for a long, long time. So kind of impacting, you know, outside of the player role, Ben Olsen, now that he's come in as coach, how would you say he's really impacted this squad? Well, first, I think, you know, this was a signing that, that if we're really being honest, took on a level of skepticism by a lot of people in the beginning, right? You know, the first thing everybody thinks is, you know, it's all for talking to, Cole, to Jamal, who is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why wouldn't we be? I mean, if we weren't, if we weren't, then what's the point of being involved in soccer, right? There are people skeptical of me. I mean, they're going to be skeptical of you after this. It, that's just that comes with the territory. I don't think that swayed Ben Olsen at all. Um, you know, he didn't have a, a very big budget to work with in D.C. either. But I think there's some other things organically that have happened. And the next time I do an interview with them, you know, it's going to be a little bit of, you know, what have you learned in this process at some point? But, um, you know, the narrow the narrow type of setup they have with inverted wingers, you know, really didn't have a lot of width in the beginning of the year. Um, yet, from a defensive standpoint, you could see this is where they were building from. So um, I think he's he's a great leader. I think one of the things he's done is manage players well because, you know, over the course of this season, this is all about timing it right. You guys know that. Um, you know, as much as Cincinnati won a – won the supporter shield and has put this amazing body of work together in St. Louis in the Western conference. Bottom line is just like major league baseball, when it's over, it's over. And this is a second season. And this is, this is an absolutely clean slate. This is a playoff system. And in a New York minute, you can be gone if uh, on a bad referees call or a key player getting injured you know, there's no guarantees just because you've had a great season. You know, you can talk to the Atlanta Braves, I think, about that. You can talk about to the Dodgers about that in MLB. But the way these leagues are set up, it doesn't really reward, you know, the all-year-long consistency, which is what I love in football. I'm sure you probably do. I love Artur because Artur's game in and game out consistent at what he does, and he has a lot of responsibility. So – I mean, from the standpoint of having that sort of think tank of Ben Olsen having gone through this, having made playoffs, uh, I think it's I think it's his leadership has been positive. I think he's been a breath of fresh air. And I think based on the way MLS works, you know, you have time to get things right. Right. I mean, you know, the first 10 games of the year, we're going, is this team ever going to score a goal? How are they going (laughs) to score goals? Right. You got. Five guys up front who don't have a history of scoring goals. And now they seem to be, you know, a a much better goal scoring team. But that will still be a question going into the playoffs. So in this case, I know we we talked about Hector giving him his flowers. In this case, which player do you think doesn't get enough praise? Well, I guess we've already gone over the importance of Hector and and the importance of Artur, right? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's great business that they're getting ahead of this and they have him re-signed with options, I think through 2026 or seven. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I think that's what you build off. And then you build off your system of play, purpose of play, whatever you want to call it. I think that the word these days is game model. Um, you got to keep up with your languaging in soccer as it gets different. Um, but, but I think, you know, we're not fools out here. When you look at a midfield that's going to include Hector Herrera, Artur, and Coco, no matter what else you have, you can right away say you're going to be competitive. We knew that at the beginning of the year. Okay. So then that's supplemented by important signings, um, surprises that have, have occurred. So you're asking me what player would that be? Um, I would think for me, and this, I don't think this would surprise people, but I think the emergence of Griffin Dorsey, the width that he brings to the Dynamo, the fact that teams had to look differently at the Dynamo once he came in during the nation uh, League's Cup. Is it League's Cup? Yeah, League's Cup. Nations League. I think I was watching something Nations League. League's Cup. Um, I think this is incredibly understated how important what he brings to the table now. And it, it, I will tell you that the, the development of him, Forget about the physical side. We all knew he could run box to box longer than anybody, right? We knew he had the physical capability. But the polish that he now has on the game, the understanding positionally, uh, I think now is a real challenge for opposing teams. So it dovetails perfectly. You always want one aspect to enhance another aspect, right? So if you're a good team playing in tight and you do a lot of one-twos and you're capable of breaking people down via combination play in the past, well, guess what? If you got width also, that pulls people out. It gives you a little bit more space. So the, the aspect of things playing off each other is, is again, I think, understated. And what he has brought, he, he, to me now, is fundamental to their team. And, in fact, the guy who was brought to be the right back has had to make way for him and is playing left back in Escobar. Yeah. Just to let you know, Glenn, that was the only right answer uh, to the question. <laughs> we uh, we had this exact talk on our last episode, you guys and we both ag- yeah. we said the yeah. same thing. Yeah, last we we talked about it last week. Um, staying on the subject of, of Dorsey, do you attribute that more to to Ben, or is that more of him being amongst the Hereras, the Artors, the Cocos? Uh, where do you attribute this newfound success for somebody like Dorsey? All of the above. And also his desire and work ethic, which, you know, I mean, I've had him on the radio. I mean, I I think he can just see it, right? Um, But it's everything. It's the container you build. When you build a container and you change 17 players out, and you had a lot of guys that, you know, were so beaten down in the past of of, of not being a good team, there was just too many of them. You, You had to move them on, right? And all you have to do is look at, what was put out in the past as to what is being put out now. You don't have to be a genius to figure out. Sometimes it's simply just about better players. Okay. Or, and that's not being disrespectful or sometimes it's, you know, look at Griffin Dorsey in this container to your point, if you're training every day with Hector Herrera and guys that are demanding and competitive, you know, all ships rise with the tide, right? That's, that's the way it works. You want all these elements, right? You want healthy pressure from the media. 
You want internal competition. You want a coaching staff that can get the best out of you. You want it all. You know, it's, it can't be one, right? So in the past, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors going on, in, in my opinion, uh, before mm-hmm. Ted Siegel took over. And, I, I, you know, a lot of people get mad at me because I might have said something. That's not being disrespectful to anybody. By the way, you don't think Tim Parker would have had a better season with Hector Herrera and um, and Artur in front of him in that midfield? Come on. You're only I mean, as good as the center back as what's in front of you. By the way, he'll probably end up being best 11 in St. Louis. So, you know, and, and I remember last, you know, when he was here, people criticizing him. Oh, he's not a good center back. Now he may be best 11 with St. Louis. It, 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 you know, guys that are surrounded by better players don't have to assume as much responsibility and can focus a little bit on their game. You know, when you ask people to do things they're not capable of, it's a little unfair to them too, right? I mean, that's, I I think in the past we had teams that we were asking players to do things that maybe they weren't capable of, and that didn't make them bad players. It just meant that the mix wasn't right. The quality of your leadership on the team and your players, the high end wasn't good enough. Uh, Just to hit on what you were saying, we had talked about as well, it seems like it's contagious this year. Mikael, Baird, these guys were getting harped on for having terrible seasons and they just don't have it. And again, we didn't, we were discussing before if it was Ben or, or more so, or more so being around the likes of, of Edetta, but everybody has just turned a page and it seems like the league's cup was the biggest blessing for this club, the club prior to league's cup, the club post league's club, two different clubs. And I don't I'm know sorry. what happened in that time frame, uh, but there are certain players like those three that we mentioned that have just really benefited, uh, since the league's cup and and i mean you know hats off like you said there's a lot of smoke and mirrors before um for me what really kind of showed that siegel was putting his money where his mouth was was when he bought that property um next to uh next to the stadium the bank for the headquarters um and i'm like okay like ted gets it ted knows that it starts from the inside and you build a culture and for me ted has done all the right things Uh, i i complain a lot about a lot of the actions with Pat and Ben. But as far as Ted, that guy, I, I'm completely bought in with, with Ted and what well, he's doing for the club. Ted knows real estate too, don't forget that. Yeah. Ted knows real estate also. So, yeah, but but I think to your point, it does add to the air of professionalism, right? He, he wants his, you know, that that's, symb- that's a symbolic place now and will become a more symbolic place as time goes by. Back to your point, you know, I made the example of Parker. You made a great example of Corey Baird, right? Who's not going to play better? Who's not going to play better if you got Hector Herrera engaged and a, and a stronger midfield behind you, right? So I, I think that was exactly. an excellent example as well of a holdover who's performing at a different level here. Well, let's- I, I think the investment in the competitive side is – is where Ted Siegel deserves a big, big pat on the back because, you know, sporting, uh, Pat Onstad, Mendelssohn, Asher, um, coaching staff, a lot of this has been put together wisely. And admittedly, they said, look, we made mistakes. You know, they made mistakes with the Paulo Nagamura hiring, not on Paulo, but they didn't get the guy they wanted initially, which was Mastroeni. So they were kind of over a barrel and they had to make a choice. Um, but I think, you know, all of us, we learn every day, right? And um, 
it's it's fallen together. They've made some really astute moves. They've added guys. I think the Sviatchenko signing is a massive signing, more important than people think. It, it, you know, the professionalism of that guy. You know, he's another – he's a guy on that line of the team that's – it's like a Hector Herrera in midfield. So the investment in the competitive side is is huge because you got to uh, – you've overturned the roster. So kind of staying in there with the center backs right now, obviously Svechenko has really set himself kind of the standard. But there's – speaking of guys that have made the jump, Bartlow, Mikael, they have really risen their play. And then also Teenage as well. We're going to kind of have kind of a logjam of who's going to get that second start at the center back there. Going into the playoffs, who do you think are going to be the main two kind of trotting out there? I think it's pretty clear. I think it's Fiachenko and Mikael. And by the way, Mikael is another great story. And I think the Dynamo will target, obviously, in the future. But their academy has to start to begin to produce. And they have to get into the buying and selling the players game, which I think they're slowly getting into. But you need the academy to produce because you need quote-unquote, against the salary cap, cheap labor, right? So Mikael is a great story. He's not costing you much. He's emerged. Um, he clearly can give you options now uh, as to what to do at the center back position because you've, you've got four good center backs back there. Uh, and, and maybe it's a fifth uh, with Daniel Starris, right? For sure. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've got some leeway there. That's a champagne problem. but. You know, when you look at a guy like Mikael and Griffin Dorsey who aren't hitting your cap and they're starting defenders for you, this has to happen in MLS. You have to get you have to get guys uh, both out of your academy, homegrowns that then don't count a lot against your salary cap, but that are real starters that can do real things for you, not just prop them up. You know, you can you can prop up a, a ton of kids that were signed out of the academy that never did anything in MLS, right? Okay, good marketing moves, I get it. The day of the marketing move is over. Over. You get judged on whether you can move players through that can actually take on the burden of being a professional soccer player, get minutes for you, and then you get something out of them. Maybe you win something with them uh, in, in their first three years, and then their value increases and you can potentially sell them. That's the dream. So you, you kind of touched on the cap a little bit. I, I kind of want to dive in a little bit, kind of a broader spectrum there. With the addition of Messi and the deals that they've had to make from Apple and Adidas, do you think eventually the cap is something that the days are numbered MLS or are owners too entrenched on the money profit that the machine produces out and they're going to try to keep the cap at all costs? No, I think, I think, um, I think that's going to expand. I think they made it pretty clear that's a priority to expand it now. Where it gets expanded, I don't know. You know, the beauty of the setup of MLS, which is a centralized league, was, you know, this is going to, in the beginning, help you to survive, right? Like, I played in all these leagues where we were playing in a league championship and we knew it was our last game and the league was crumbling. And, you know, there were guys saying they didn't want to play, you know, the veterans. And then there are young guys like me going, no, we got to play, playing for a title, you know, without knowing what the future was. These guys had been through it. I had. So I, I, I think that's a no-brainer. That'll happen. Um, let's see if other teams decide to try and go after, you know, bigger-name stars, uh, you know, next-level guys in, in, in the future as maybe MLS becomes even more of a place, place to come. I think lifestyle is always a consideration. 
that's always in your back pocket when selling, you know, someone to come to MLS, right? So, um, no, I, I, I think that would be expanded. And, and look, if we sat in a room with all the owners, there may be a couple guys going, no, we want the cap to stay here. We don't want it. We No, this is fine, right? The danger of the way this league is set up is what occurred to us in, in the past in Houston. It was looked upon as an investment, right? And then we paint a picture to the public. And the picture to the public is, oh, look at all the things we're doing. And I'm not saying things weren't being done, but they weren't investing in their team. You couldn't, as a fan, honestly, and me even as a commentator, and and my honesty gets me in trouble, I couldn't sit there and say, this team and this club is trying to win a title. Yeah. Right? I I couldn't. I'm sorry for that. I tell people. Uh, But that's the truth. one of the strengths about Houston, um, I, I tell folks, I feel also hurts us, and that is the soccer fan in Houston is educated. They know good soccer. They're Liga MX fans. They're EPL fans. So when you go, when you give them that fluff, and we have the soccer team for Houston, and we're going to do our best, and they see what's on the field, they're like, wait a second, that's not a good soccer team. So I felt like with the past Dynamo teams, when you're trying to sell them on being competitive – the soccer fan in Houston is educated. And again, that, that is a pro, but at the same time, it is a con because they're quick to see that's not good soccer. So I, I completely agree with you there. Well, I love the fact that you make that statement because, you know, every single night I go in to do a radio show, I know that there are people listening that know a lot about the game. I, I know that. You have to respect the culture. And I think, you know, some of the people that have been running the club in the past do not have a soccer background, like a kid in a candy store, and they're making soccer decisions, and you're just you're shaking your head. And to this day, some of that baggage made it very difficult for the new owner to come in here and, and do work, whether that's relationship with the youth community and the things you've done there. Um, yeah, we can go on and on. But, you know, past is the past. you got to learn from it. you got to have context. Um, you know, I, I hear Hector saying, well, where are the fans, you know? Well, you know, I don't know if Hector knows the context of, of how beaten down it was, you know, in the past. And I don't think people understand that if it's beaten down yearly, right? Every year you do that again, you are conditioning people not to come back. I agree. And that makes it harder. You're for the group. That, yeah, so that now makes it harder for the group that comes in to get out of this thing. And you got it's going to take time. First start is a, is a very good product on the field now. Aesthetically, for me, as good as anything that we have ever seen in Houston. And if there was ever a type of football being played that can attract, to your your point, the authentic soccer fan, you got it. Before we switch subjects, that is one thing that I think we a lot of people forget about. The soccer wasn't great on the field for those authentic fans, but a lot of things were happening behind the scenes with the youth communities that also turned a lot of people off. So. When when Ted took this endeavor, I remember thinking, like, I don't know if he knows how big of a problem we have. I think he, they've made a lot of steps towards the right direction, in my opinion. One of those big things was uh, losing the association with the youth uh, with the youth groups, which I think was a, a very important move because you want to help everyone. Like you said, a rising tide raises all ships. You want to help everyone grow, and you don't want people to look at Dynamo as as the enemy or as competition. So I think they're slowly making. That was a divisive 
That ended up being incredibly divisive. That was a move made by the former team president, uh, Chris Canetti, yeah. and a guy named Don Gemmel. That was that that was not with the future of the Houston Dynamo. Uh, you know, to dominate your youth community is to that is tantamount to suicide. To say you're going to try to yeah. dominate the youth community and put a jersey on everybody is the dumbest and weakest thing you can possibly do. As the pro club, you have to extend the olive branch. You got to work with everybody, whether you like them or not. You have to stay above board always. And um, and that was I one thing. Now that I, I cringed. And unfortunately, now that I'm no longer there, I, I can kind of speak on this, but the Toro's whole business model came from that group that were with the Dynamo whenever all that was happening. So a lot of those mistakes were made down here as well. And you kind of see a lot of the results of that, unfortunately. But um, kudos to to Pat and Ted for the moves they've made so far. I think they're going in the right direction. It's just going to take – it's going to take a while. You have to earn people's trust back. Uh, the quote, earn my business, we have to earn their business back because of what's happened in the last decade or so. But sticking with the business, are we eventually going to hit a problem here for the – everyday fan. I mean, for instance, we're both season ticket holders, but with the effects of Messi, ticket prices are going up. Are they going to start to outprice the fan eventually for season tickets or even a game day ticket? Good question to ponder, probably for somebody better than my pay grade, but I I always think you have to produce value. If you really want the authentic soccer fan um, and and you're not going for the rocket fan or the, you, you know, you're going to have to have the right pricing you got to have cold beer priced at a good price. You know, there are basics. I mean, if you want people sitting in 90-degree heat, then <clears throat> the authentic fan is who you want. They're the ones who are going to sit in the heat because they're there for the game. Um, and I'm not saying people aren't there for the game now. They are. And there are a lot of authentic fans that are currently going to Dynamo games. But that's just a giant cornucopia of potentials out there, right, and unique fans. And when you say unique, they're ones that you can earn. Um, so I don't know. You know, the league, you know, you guys see the trends. A lot of times, a lot of teams do the same thing. So I think, I think originality and creativity in your own market is something you really have to seek out. And you can't get that unless you have people from the Houston area giving you those ideas. That can't come from somebody that comes out of market and comes in generally. Um, you know. Uh, so uh, they're just things to ponder. Looking kind of bigger picture, a little bit more kind of a, of a prediction here, because I know Kolb is, or Jamal's mentioned that he's done USL work and everything like that. USL is trying to head towards a promotion and relegation system. Do you ever think that could reach MLS? I never say never. I don't know if it's in my lifetime. I mean, there is a safety about MLS investment as owners, right? Because everybody gets a piece of the pie. Um, you know, if we could foreshadow and look into our crystal ball one day and say, does it ultimately, you know, kind of break away from that model? May everything has to evolve. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I, I think the test of USL promotion and regulate, uh, relegation. Yeah. I, I, I think it'd be very, very interesting to watch. I think it adds consequence. I think the problem always is trying to make sure that your regular season has consequence. You know, 
yeah. but also being aligned with the excitement of the playoff system, right? And we know this is a playoff league. And we know when decision day is done, nobody cares, except in Cincinnati and St. Louis, that they won the division. Nobody yeah. cares, okay? Because now it's a clean slate, and that's the beauty of it. You keep a lot of fan bases engaged because you now have 63% of the teams making the playoffs, right? So they're going to be teams that turn into a different animal. Like if you look at the Dynamo right now, you're not betting against them in the playoffs because they've got momentum. So now my next thing is where are the Dynamo going to be after this extended layoff in Portland? I mean, that's, that's how, that's how you got to look at it. You know? Yeah. We're, 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 we're really high and great things are happening, but you know, the next, Little thing to check off is where are they going to be in Portland? What type of soccer are they going to play? How sharp will they be? How important, you know, can they make sure they nail down a home field advantage in the playoffs? You know, that's where it is. So it's exciting. So you kind of mentioned it. What is your playoff expectations for the Dynamo going in? Listen, we've seen it all, right? We've You, you guys have followed this league. We have seen every type of different scenario. We've seen Dynamo teams in 11 and 12 that didn't have great regular seasons, you know, go all the way to MLS Cups, right? I don't think it's as easy to do that anymore, but I do think that, you know, anything has possibly happened. So if the Dynamo go deep in the playoffs, it will not surprise me. They are a difficult team to play against. You don't want to play against them. They don't concede goals. If they get the first goal in a game, they can manage games out with the way they play and with their ability in nurturing the ball and the decision-making that they get through Hector Herrera. So sky's the limit, really. Uh, nobody's, put, nobody's putting the marker on them, you know, oh, you know, just because this is the first good season in a long while and it's happened over the last two and a half months, you saw it building. So they're timing it right, I think. So Jamal and I had a discussion about uh... – which player do we think is probably the most key going into the playoffs? Obviously, I think the easy slam dunk answer would be Hector. So outside of Hector, who are you saying has to show up for us to really make a run? Well, I think you would have to point to goal scoring because I think that will still be the question going into the playoffs. Remember, we left some points on the table that would have made things a little bit easier for us, right? Even if you look at the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup victory, right? That game should have been signed, sealed, delivered in the first 45 minutes. If if we're going to be picky here, yep. okay, and some people are probably going, hey, shut up. I mean, <laughs> we won the trophy. <laughs> but that's the way you have to kind of analyze it because it's been a little hit or miss in the goal scoring department. They don't have an out-and-out goal scorer. They have found ways to get goals from so many people. I don't know why that wouldn't continue, but that to me is going to be really the question. Um, their chance creation is up beyond belief from the first 10 games of the year. Uh, and a lot of that comes to getting, I believe, additional width and then figuring out exactly where Amin Bossi needed to play and some of these other real subtle, interesting things that have happened in what is an amazing story this year. So, um, but for, for me, you know, being clinical and finishing, it, it's a simple answer, but it really comes down to kind of that front five and where the goals are coming from. Yeah, it's kind of where I was touching on. I think so, uh, so that's, a, that's a good non-answer. That would be a good coach's answer. If you wanted me to say one player, can Corey Baird continue to score goals in the playoffs? 
that's that's who I picked as my kind of guy for we we need uh, we need Scory Baird to kind of pop out there. So he he needs to definitely step up for us. That's I mean you hit on somebody else too that we we kind of forget about Quinones. That was another guy that I didn't think he was coming back after when his loan stint was over the initial couple months of the season, and then it's like something turned on at the right time for him because. Had he waited a little longer, I don't think I think Camunez is back in Colombia with his with his parent club and turned on at the right time. And then it's also kind of freed up uh, Baird and and our other front guys to to get those scoring opportunities. Good faith by the Dynamo to to keep him. It's taken a while. It's been patient. I hear people, you know, no, no, he's been turning it on as of late, and it's been more consistent. Big big game. I mean, he set the tone. I think in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup final at Inter Miami. Yeah. Um, you know, there were times during the year I'd say, boy, I wish he was picking the ball up on the right side of the field and pushing it forward and going, right? Because he'd get behind people more. Now he is on the side of the field where he's more inverted. Um, but it's taken a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of belief in him. Obviously, I'm sure the coaching staff has done some amazing work with him. But, you know, his next level has only been in the last couple of games. Right. Yeah, exactly. We've yeah. seen the flashes always, but it's really been in the next couple of games. So there's another good one to keep an eye on, to your point, going into the playoffs. Can can Quinones keep that level of consistency, penetrating, pushing people? He's now getting behind people, and he's more of a threat cutting inside, which everybody's going to realize. Um, there's two things that I personally want to hit or a few things, actually, that I want to hit on. Um, we have a conspiracy, Brandon and I. Um, and we'll wrap it up with this last conspiracy. But we have this conspiracy given Harden's involvement with the club. Um, in the past, him and Griezmann have had some exchanges on Twitter. They seem to be good friends. Griezmann's a big Rockets fan. Our conspiracy is that we're going to have Antoine Griezmann reunite with Hector Herrera, and that's going to be our big marketing signing uh, in the next year or so. So when that does happen, we'd love that shout-out on Soccer Matters. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. You called it first. That one might have called it first. Uh, so, Glenn, before we let go, let you go. We were hoping we could get a "I'm Glenn Davis" and this is the way we ball sound bit from you. If you don't want to, we totally understand. Um, but that's how we'll wrap things up. Got it. I'm Glenn Davis, and this is the way we ball. 